I am one of those who was made to take piano lessons as a child, and I did the minimal amount of time taking those lessons before I was allowed to quit and have regretted that decision for my entire adult life. Wouldn't it be nice if I could not just hear and receive music, but, but play music? offer music, be part of, of that aspect. And so a few years ago, I jumped back into lessons, and I did so with excitement. I started learning those scales. I quickly learned I could figure out a few familiar ditties of some of my kind of favorite songs, just put together this note here and there. My teacher was happy with my progress. I was happy with my progress. But you know how it is when a new thing starts to become a routine thing, right? Eventually the scales were not as invigorating to play. And I learned that there was really a difference between getting all the notes right and playing music, right? Playing music takes a lot of practice, repetition, attention to detail, that's the right touch. You really don't see the fruit of your labor right Away, and, and so it really is an exercise in faith that somehow all these little adjustments and corrections and repetitions will, will lead to a day when the song really plays forth as, as music. And perhaps my faith began to wane. Like many things that become routine or even trying and tiring routines, it just got harder to stay motivated. I practiced less. I made more excuses. I'll practice twice as much tomorrow. I've been feeling under the weather most of the week anyway. Malaise. Apathy that sets in after the initial spark. That is something really of the main issue that is being addressed in the book of Hebrews. There's a lot we don't know about the book of Hebrews, that second reading you just heard, including who the author is. But what does seem clear is this congregation of Jesus followers to which this author is writing, they had definitely known this initial spark of faith where they had been really motivated to learn, to grow, to serve, to come together. Do you remember the early days of faith? This congregation in the book of Hebrews, they were so enthusiastic, so countercultural in how they, they lived out their faith and their love for one another and others that, that they actually endured suffering and persecution. The author of Hebrews even reminds the congregation of this at one point in this letter. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison. You joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possessions. Oh, you were playing the music, right? Yeah. But then something happened. Not born of a crisis, not born of a tragedy, not born of, of wrongdoing. Something almost imperceptible. Something that you really only start to just notice once you're not practicing as much for a while, the music becomes notes. The motions of faith, but where's the vitality? And honestly, even some of the notes weren't being 
played as regularly in this congregation. It's, it's obvious from this letter that, that some folks had just stopped meeting together regularly for, 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 for worship, for learning, for growing, for serving. In fact, at one point, uh, the author of Hebrews has to say quite bluntly, do not neglect or give up on meeting together as some of you are in the habit of doing. Some had routinized other things. What do you do when the crisis facing the church, really the people of God, is not foremost an external crisis, though those are always real and always ongoing at some level? What do you do when the, when the chief crisis, the chief thing pressing and weighing upon the, 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 the people of God is internal? And something that seems seemingly so benign compared to all the other challenges of the world. What if the chief crisis is a heavy malaise, an apathy, a a deep question about whether it all really matters? Write notes, but less music, or, or honestly, increasingly, just less notes. What if the pandemic for some has exasperated how frequently, how fervently we lean into the notes of faith? How, how does one, how, how do a people get back to the piano? I was part of this small group Bible study in Atlanta, Georgia, a decade or so ago. One night, the Bible study ends, and Randy Stinnett gets up and heads over to the piano. Randy was the thoughtful, warm, um, kind graduate student at Emory University, and, and he quietly walks over to the piano. We, we had no idea that he played, and, and he lightly lets his fingers touch upon those keys. He, he sits upright, and then he leans in with his energy we have never seen before, and he plays this jazzy improv touch every key up and down the piano version of the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. His mercies are new every morning. Have you ever been to a concert? Church? Maybe just a living room setting. But will you know whatever is, is, is being offered is just transcendent? You know that even if you record it or, or you try to tell it to a friend 10 minutes later, it's just never going to be able to capture or replicate the beauty of what is being offered in that moment. Have you ever known that kind of offering? That's the stuff that can get you back to the piano, isn't it? Right? When, when you see again the vision of why the piano matters and just how it can be played. When someone brings forth the the beauty of these very familiar, ordinary notes and you remember, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, that's, oh, that's what life can sound like. That's what the author of Hebrews is doing in chapters one and two of, of our reading. Many scholars have noted this is a sermon. In the first four verses of this sermon in Hebrews, the author is preaching what many of uh, think is probably some kind of hymn or poem to open the sermon because the Greek that is used is so strikingly beautiful, hitting all these very basic, fundamental, correct notes about who Jesus is, but lifting them into song and poetry that the tired people of God might say, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's it, that's, 
That's who Jesus is. That's what we're about. The author lifts a number of keys in even those first four verses, but at least three I'll just mention briefly. In a world where we often wonder if there's anyone who is speaking with a real authority, real insight, real love, and is not only speaking truth, but living truth, who can we trust? The author declares that if you look at Jesus, you will see the imprint of God's very being. You look at Jesus, you will see what God is all about. You will, you will hear the voice of authority and insight and love. In a world of trials, in a world of tragedies, in a world continually filled with, with our fears, our failings, great uncertainty about what's going to happen next, and so there can be kind of a vying for power, some reaching for some sort of control to hold on to one way or another, the author declares it's Jesus who sustains the whole world. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is love, and it is he who is fully and truly in charge. We're in a world where we are apt to judge one another, turn from one another, shut one another out as we become disagreeable or pained or hurt. The author declares, Jesus has made for the purification of our sins. A road of forgiveness where we thought surely only walls could or should exist. It's poetry, it's a hymn, it's music playing these basic familiar notes of faith and bringing them unto the people again that they they might be vitalized. This really is the gift of musicians and artists in the body of Jesus Christ of designers and painters in the body of Jesus Christ, of sculptors sculptors and photographers in the body of Christ, of quilters and architects, of writers and cooks, novice and expert. What they do is they take the basic elements, the basic ingredients so many of us have begun taking for granted or overlooked or it's just become dull routine. And through their art, right, they give this fresh expression, this fresh vitality. Have you been blessed to see the spirit of Jesus through an artist of any ilk, any age, in any of these recent months? Blessed to receive perhaps even a new vitality because someone or someone's creativity reminded you, that's Jesus. That's that's what he's all about. That's that's what we're all about. Have, Have you been graced with such a gift? On May 27th, 1992, there was a long line of people outside this bakery in Sarajevo. The city had been under siege for a little over a month in what would become the four-year Bosnian War. The siege had already laid ruin a lot of the city. Sniper fire and shelling had already become a daily reality. And, And food and water were quickly becoming difficult to find. These people are waiting on bread, and a mortar hits that line of people and kills 22 of them. Bedran Smodjlovic. The principal cellist of the Sarajevo Opera lived quite near this bakery and runs out immediately to help the wounded. 
He later recounted the main feeling that overcame him in that moment was his absolute powerlessness. He's not a soldier, not a politician. He held not an ounce of sway in any small corner of his country that could remotely affect what was befalling his country. But he did have one thing. Perhaps you've heard the story. The next day he puts on his finest concert tuxedo. He takes his cello to, to those ruins and rubble and the still putrid air where the line of people had been right outside the bakery less than 24 hours ago. And upon that cello he played Abenoni's hauntingly beautiful adagio in G minor. Afterwards, people raced up to him to tell him, though, that, that though the bakery did not have any bread, he'd provided bread. So he went back and did it the next day amid sniper fire and shelling, and he, and he did it the next day. He did it for 22 consecutive days in honor of all 22 victims. Then he started going to other sites around the city where shellings had taken life, and he played Adagio in G minor, this haunting lament. He sought out graveyards that were quickly becoming filled, and he played Adagio in G minor. Continually, actually, he started to look for places of destruction, of despair, and of death. And there he prioritized, there he raised that delicate wood and played. Hebrews chapter 2 declares that Jesus tasted death for everyone. He is the pioneer of our salvation through suffering, which is to say Jesus sought out the darkest that humanity could throw out the world, throw at the world. The place of greatest humiliation, the, greatest, the place of greatest injustice, the place of death itself. And there, there of all places, raised love. We worship a Jesus who does not avoid the darkness and the pain that is within and that is without. Rather, he actively seeks the places of most humiliation, of deepest brokenness, of deep injustice and pain, the places where death surprises us and the place where death seems to hover constantly. It is there that this Jesus who holds the whole world, it is there, it is there that he goes to bring bread. Right? I prepare a table in the presence of mine enemies, in the space where the snipers fire and the rubble falls. I go to the darkness, and three days later, I will rise. Jesus, Jesus is the original artist, right? The one offering surprising, even shocking beauty in life in places of deepest malaise and, and, and worse. And so that is where the body of Christ then goes every time, right? Cello in tow or piano 
or canvas or pen and paper or mixing bowl or fabric or wood or tape measure or and with their creativity they become an orchestra playing in the rubble lifting the basic notes declaring by way of beauty that the darkness has not and will not overcome not this what's your cello And has the Holy Spirit stirred in such a way that there is, again, a longing not just to to play the right notes, but to lean into the music and receive the Holy Spirit afresh in and through us? And then, then if so, toward, toward what brokenness, what rubble, which pain, which injustice, whether quite far or quite near, quite foreign, quite familiar, which space do we sense God calling us to step toward? Unless we forget, we would be wise to don our finest attire for such endeavor, no? Colossians 3, chapter 12 is where the church gets its fashion sense. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and love, which binds the whole outfit together. In these polarized pandemic days of ours, there exists a very real malaise and apathy among many outside the church, inside the church, for any number of reasons. Thanks be to God that in Jesus Christ, we have one who shows up time and again with surprising beauty in the places of deepest malaise and worse. May we be given eyes to see him or perhaps ears to hear him, perhaps through one of the artists of God, novice or expert, very young or much older. May we be given eyes or ears to see where that spirit might be calling unto us. That we could remember what the notes are all about. And then may we have the courage to grab our cello and don our finest and step not away, but in step with our Savior, step toward the rubble. An orchestra declaring the forgiving, feeding way of Jesus. Amen.